This episode of Harmonious Gentlemen is brought to you by Blind Man Brewing, makers of craft beer in central Alberta. Say hi to Hans. He can do amazing handstands. podcast episodes were the number of cars and drivers in a NASCAR race, you'd know that this had to be episode 43 of The Harmonious Gentleman. Did you know every NASCAR race has 43 cars? Nope. I just learned that now. Who would watch NASCAR? Like, seriously. <laughs> Peter, I'm surprised you're not <laughs> a huge fan. Apparently a lot of people, and they're all Americans. So it's your I'm national assuming. sport. <laughs> yeah. Tell us more, Peter. <laughs> Who's your favorite NASCAR driver of all time, Peter? <laughs> Um, Lightning McQueen. I can't think of any, oh. actually. So I think Dale Earnhardt was Dale one. Dale Earnhardt probably would be the one, one name I was going to say, but you beat me to it. Wasn't there one like Danica? Was that one? Uh, yeah. Or? Is she indie or NASCAR? I, and I probably butchered her name still. So, yeah, I'm... I'm. We'll, we'll get back to you <laughs> listeners after the break about some of our favorite drivers. This <laughs> is the worst beginning to a podcast episode ever. <laughs> We're not doing it again, so uh, welcome everyone Okay, to Tyler's house, outside. Another outdoor recording session. It's probably one of the nicer days of the year so far. Yeah, it's still April and it hit 23 degrees today. Yeah, It was like 13 like right away this morning. It was amazing. Yeah. So we've got Peter on board. He has a mystery topic for us uh, to discuss this evening, which I'm excited about. And Peter's very excited about it, which makes me nervous about it. <laughs> yeah, very hesitant. <laughs> Is it another manifesto by any chance? No. Okay. <laughs> no, you're, you're good there. Okay. Any emails? Yeah. We actually received quite a bit of uh, correspondence in the last uh, little while. This is from our friend Tim Alien, and it's called Catastrophe Diverted. Dear Harmonious Gen Terrestrials. Sometimes in his emails, you have to like pause and argue. Am I reading this word right? I'm yeah. glad you're reading it this time. Oh, man. I was cheered to listen to one of your recent podcast episodes in which you questioned whether we had gender or what day and night is for us. These elementary questions confirm that terrestrials are still very much ignorant of our superior kind. I need not worry about terrestrials mind reading extras. It came as no surprise then to listen to your last episode and find out that you actually can't time travel despite the deceiving episode title. I hope this letter grants you the same peace of mind it provided me in writing it. Live long and prosper, sugar water guy. So he thought highly of us until he learned that <laughs> until he <laughs> we couldn't travel through time. Until he listened to the next episode. <laughs> hmm. Well, thanks, Tim. Yeah. And we always love hearing hearing from Tim. Um, we also love hearing from Karina, and she wrote us uh, an email recently as well. It's called Musical Interludes and Such. Hi, gentlemen. First off, as a faithful listener, the musical interludes graciously created and produced by Graham are treasured and one of this listener's most enjoyed parts of your podcast. In fact, the musical interludes elevate your legitimacy by far. So you should thank Graham. And I think that was in all caps. It's all caps, yeah. And his generosity in sharing his gift of music. Your level of professionalism skyrockets because of them. And just so you know, we do still listen to you, as beautifully distracting as the music is. So I think she's talking about when Graham plays the piano 
Mm-hmm. They, she still listens to at the end of the episode what we're saying. I, I want to clarify. Also, wait, wait, also, hold on, Peter. Okay. Hold on. Oh, okay. Also, <laughs> there's more. This 40th episode was superb and also tragic. So she's referring, yeah, the 40th episode. So a couple episodes back. The the manifesto episode. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Peter, for sharing history and vulnerability. I can only hope we as a society are headed towards being more inclusive towards diverse and currently marginalized people like our valuable people who happen to be LGBTQ+. Well done, gentlemen. Well done. And thank you. So, like email of the year, I, I would say just <laughs> I would nominate that. Well, the last part was pretty good. Now, yeah. now I do want to clarify because I was the one who criticized Graham for the, oh, the piano right, playing. Right, right. Yeah, I'd forgotten. And it was just the music <laughs> at the end. I like his music yeah. quite well. I just... No, we, we, we understood completely, Peter. It's fine. We just saved that email for you being yeah, here. We cause... have had it for a couple episodes. We just wanted you to be around. But that was a really good email. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. We, we share a, a working space at Gateway, so she has my back, I think. So thanks. Mm-hmm. Hey, we'll keep the emails coming. Um, HarmoniousGentleman at gmail.com. We appreciate it. And we've had lots of good interaction on Instagram and Twitter and now Facebook as well. So as much as we talk down on the social media world, we are there to be harmonious with you. So thank you for joining us. Much appreciated. And uh, we are continuing our two-week clip right now. Mm-hmm. Every two weeks, it's still going. I'm Thank you, guys. I think mm-hmm. it's been a pretty... I've, I've heard from people that they appreciate the more often episodes. So we're going to keep it going. And we're going to go with Peter tonight for a mystery topic. But first, we should recommend some things in our lives that we want to share with those around us. Hmm. I've got one for after the break. So I'm going to recommend that everybody treats themselves in a very specific way and buy some new socks. I think new socks are a treat. Um, they don't even have to be like high quality socks, just new socks <laughs> that like fit nicely. Socks. The ones I'm wearing right now are um, fairly new champion socks from Costco. They're nothing special, but when they're new, they're kind of like a hug on your ankles. Um and I, I know for me, I don't get new socks enough. I kind of wear them till they're threadbare no and my toes are yeah, poking through and the, they're just falling down. So every listener right now, like make a point of buying yourself good mm. socks sooner than you normally would and you won't regret it. So that's my recommendation. Get new socks. I like that. I like a nice pair of colorful dress socks mm-hmm. that are still tight. And- Do you guys find that they... They last a decent amount of time, but then they all kind of die at the same time. Like I find like they just drop like flies at a certain point in the year. Yeah. Every day is a new pair. Like every pair has a hole in the toe? Basically all at once. Yeah. Thanks, Tyler. I will buy some socks. Okay. Good. I'll do a quick recommendation. Uh, I've been listening to Ryan's, Ryan Langlois' song, Fear is Just a Word, that came out before our last episode. And we mentioned it on the podcast and it was hopefully played at the end if that all worked out <laughs> um but if not um and you haven't heard it it's a really great song ryan thank you again beautiful song uh thanks for coming again but yeah fear is just a word awesome song and then of course there's other stuff's on there too on spotify and things so ryan langlois check it out nice tyler when you said treat yourself that ties in nicely to my recommendation because i had the butterscotch dipped dairy queen cone Ooh. yesterday 
I saw an ad for it, and it was like one of the first times I was like, I need to go out and get that right. <laughs> but I couldn't at the time because I was quarantining. So I had to wait, and last mm. night was the night. I would recommend getting a small. I got a medium, and it was a little too big. You know, there's a lot of ice cream in there. Also, yeah. they're five dollars for a medium dipped cone, which really? I thought was a little crazy. But there, the nice they, hard shell, nice flavor. Mm-hmm. They, you said what flavor was it? The butterscotch. Oh, butterscotch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have chocolate too. But. Peter, we may have to grab that on the way back. I think after this. No, I I don't really like Dairy Queen okay. ice cream. So, huh. hmm. yeah. well, way to destroy this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> My my recommendation is a podcast, and I can't remember if we've recommended this podcast before, but Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Uh, he's uh, recently, the past few episodes, he's been uh, interviewing like non-celebrities, just like yeah. random fans, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Like his, uh, his I don't know, like improv with, with uh, just random people is brilliant. So I highly recommend the... Uh, those couple of episodes, and they're shorter too. They're like twenty minutes. I think his yeah. podcast is is so funny. Like most mm-hmm. consistent laugh out loud stuff for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't love his show, but I feel like the podcast is a good niche for that guy. Yeah. Okay. Did we cover everyone? I think everybody got to say something, and yeah. only one was shot down. So that's not <laughs> bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the moment, everyone. We're gonna pause listen to the birds and then Peter is going to let us know what he's brought for the gentleman this evening. I can't wait. All right. I have, I have goosebumps. <laughs> okay. So tonight's topic I'm quite excited about, and I, I kind of wish there was a videotape here, um, but let me just bring out all the preparation I did for this. We've got a large book. And notes. And notes. Handwritten notes. And cursive. For those of us who follow us on social media, there will be pictures posted later of the items that Peter is pulling <laughs> out of his backpack. So I decided to do something similar to last time, totally different topic but like i liked the idea of us interacting with ideas from the past so like last mm-hmm. time was the gay manifesto uh so this time we are going to dig into some existentialism so oh, literally yeah yeah so i <laughs> i gave them the warning that we are going to have an existential crisis yeah. tonight and that that is what we're going to have oh boy it's just the philosophical you're just setting the groundwork for a crisis i'm i am thrilled for this <laughs> i hope we have some despair and okay. anxiety and right. uh is there a uh, plan for like check. bringing us back on the other end of that oh yeah okay yeah i bring, i plan on uh, bringing in christopher nolan at, at the at oh the perfect end, so okay yeah, like he's some, here as a guest. I, yeah, <laughs> in <laughs> How big is that backpack? So, uh, so first, I want to like kind of gauge what do you guys know about existentialism. Can you define it first, and I'll tell you. <laughs> I no, I will define it, but I want to know. I want to know if you guys know anything about it. Uh, I don't think I really do. <laughs> I think I, I think of outside myself. I think of like viewing myself from the outside as being a part of it or, or trying to figure out. Oh boy. Does it have to do with like purpose of existence? 
Like what's that the meaning weird. of our existence? That's really close. Okay. Really I'm going to cut out what I said then. <laughs> no, no, that's good. Cause I was going to yeah, go along with something like that. And the only thing way I think I've heard it in a sentence is when it's with the word crisis. So mm. that there's some kind of despair that you're not meeting your life's purpose. That's also pretty close too. Okay. Uh, so like one of the best definitions of existentialism is um, is the idea that we are a blank book. So like we uh, fill in the pages of that book with our choices. So let's compare that to like other views of philosophy where we have a purpose in life, where we're like uh, uh, going in a certain direction. Existentialism is the belief that our purpose is actually not like predetermined. We choose our own purpose. Uh, so we make our own choices. There isn't any predetermined plan. There isn't any uh, uh, system that is pushing us one direction or anything like that. It's, uh, um, yeah, we make our own choices. If you were to make a spectrum and existentialism was on one end, would predestination be on the other? Or are those not opposites necessarily? They're, they're not even in the, I wouldn't even put them in the same category. Like, uh, it's, it's. I'm not sure if I'd put existentialism on a spectrum. Like it's in response to like this uh, movement called idealism, which is uh, like uh, all society is heading in a certain direction. So I wouldn't really think of it in the sort of predestination context, but, but anyway, uh, so that's, that's what we're going to dig into, but I wanted to like first hear of like, what do you guys think about the idea of purpose? Do you guys think that your lives have a specific purpose or society has a purpose or is it something that you make up uh, on your own? That's a good question. I've never really <laughs> thought about my purpose in those terms. Have you guys? Yeah, I have, I think. But I want to hear what Tyler says. No, first. I, was gonna- <laughs> <laughs> I think you should start if you oh, if you okay. have thought about it. Well, I'm I haven't thought about it, it enough to make a coherent answer so this graham might have to do some editing so this doesn't sound too choppy or dumb Mm. but i would say i think um like i believe in god and i think god has a plan and a purpose and because of that i believe people are connected to that and in a way can't i don't know maybe if i believe this or not i'm thinking this through right now (laughs) that you can't you you know there's decisions you can make and you do all the time that could kind of take you off that path but there's a direction you're moving in that uh it's pretty hard to you know whether that's a tide or like a um a pull of gravity kind of that it's hard to resist thanks for going first it'll help uh, me to I think a little to. bit longer um <laughs> come i want to go like, last also <laughs> <laughs> like when i don't really believe in what i would call like destiny like you're where it's like you were born to do something specific and like you have to find that and then do it. But when I, so when I hear the, like, do I, have I ever thought about my own purpose? I think I could answer yes. But the way I would define purpose is more like what I want to do to that. Like, uh, yeah, what I want to do kind of like, what do I want to do with my life? Like what kind of impact do I want to have on legacy more? Yeah, maybe, but but that's quite different from destiny. Mm-hmm. So I guess initially when you asked the question, I was 
thinking more destiny and I didn't really I'm like, I don't really think in those terms, but if I think of it more in legacy, then yes, I do think about that. <laughs> Are you going to tell us that we're totally wrong? No, no. Okay. I, Can I you wanted, be wrong about this? <laughs> no, like I wanted to do philosophy in real time because so often people think philosophy is this like, I don't know, dusty sort of subject. And so this yeah. is what we we are doing. So there isn't necessarily a right or a wrong. There could be like poor logic, but yeah. it's not. Yeah. yeah. And so far two of us have nailed that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what Graham thinks. Well, no, I, I mean... I don't even really know. I, I don't think I feel a little embarrassed because I haven't really thought about that a whole lot in my life necessarily. What my purpose is, what my legacy is going to be. I don't really worry about, I shouldn't say worry because that implies you guys worry. I just don't really think in, in those terms. Sort of what Tyler said, I've, I'm doing things that I think that I am good at and then I can excel at and I can, you know, create positive change with. I, but that's about as far as it's gone. I think I need to think deeper, Peter. I think I honestly like it's maybe it'll help to think a little bit deeper about about this because I, I just haven't carved that time out. When I'm in the shower, I think about songs I want to write. And when I go for runs, I... It's because that's what your purpose is. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I let see. me let me like wrap a bow on this part because <laughs> like uh, the reason why I bring that up is the person I want to dig into is my favorite uh, existential Danish philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard. Hmm. Uh, so we're going to dig into his thoughts. But the reason why I bring up that is he was a 19th century philosopher who uh, uh, hated um, the church, though he was a, a passionate Christian. Um, and he hated uh, um, the government and institutions of society and the philosophy of society. And maybe hate as well. Hate for the institutions of society is probably a strong word. He definitely hated the church. But um, but basically, at that time in, in Denmark, there was this idea that all of society was uh, following a philosophy called Hegelian philosophy, which is like everything is moving in this specific direction where you have what's called the thesis and antithesis and uh, synthesis. So you have society moving this back and forth, um, but you had no choice in, in that uh, society is automatically in that progression. Uh, so Kierkegaard wanted to push choice, that uh, we write our own lives. We make our own choices. We are that blank book. Um, so when he looks at choice, uh, he is looking at, um, he has observed like different stages of life that humans are in, just like general stages of how they make their choices. So th the way we're going to structure tonight is we're going to look at Soren Kierkegaard's different stages. Nice. And so Man, you put a lot of thought uh, into this. Well, about like it. an hour. Okay. So <laughs> it yeah, only took us 43 episodes to get to Kierkegaard. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought, is this ever going to happen? <laughs> it's every time I think of an idea or this is the second time I thought of an idea for these episodes. I'm like, oh, man, this could be like great or just horrible. So we'll see well, what happens here. So far, so good. So <laughs> should I move on or do we need to take a break? Let's do a quick break. Perfect. So a few years ago, I got to go to Copenhagen and uh, 
the way I arranged my trip to Copenhagen was by going onto the famous sites relating to Kierkegaard. So I got to see his like actual works in the Danish Royal Library and the church that he was uh, uh, excommunicated out of. And just, it was wonderful. But anyway, so the first stage that we're going to talk about with Kierkegaard, uh, with making choices, and he, he thinks that every human um, is in these stages at some point in time in their lives or even simultaneously. So this um, first stage is called the aesthetic stage. Now, I'm not going to read Kierkegaard because he's actually difficult to understand. So I'm going to read a philosopher, John Frame, talking about Kierkegaard. Much easier to understand, mm -hmm. but I think he does a good job. I think I could spell his name at least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he says about this stage, in the aesthetic stage... A person seeks what is immediately pleasurable. He is uncommitted, often irresponsible and selfish, dedicated to pure enjoyment. In his relationships to others, he might be manipulative, even diabolical. He acknowledges no principle or person capable of limiting and governing his behavior. His life is governed by the present moment rather than deliberate choice. But this lifestyle yields a low quality of existence, leading to boredom, weariness, self-disgust, and despair. You may well have had a college roommate like this, trapped in the aesthetic. Perhaps you have tried to intervene to get him to change his ways, but that is very difficult. The aesthetic is his very life, almost his very nature. Likely, he has no interest in the kind of radical change he needs. Okay, so this is just like the book of Ecclesiastes or George Costanza from Seinfeld. Like, it makes sense that, like, is this the what the state you're born into? A state that you're born into, but you could also be in at any time in life, yeah, really. Sure. Um, this is why philosophy can be super practical. This is why I wanted to, uh, yeah. because I even can think of uh, times in my life, and I think the reason why John Frame brings up uh, college roommate as an example my college years i was probably yeah. more in this aesthetic stage of just doing what i wanted i but like how I he assumed that i that i wasn't the one like it's my roommate <laughs> yeah. so i have all, of, all of my roommates were i was the only one who wasn't <laughs> and one of their roommates <laughs> but the idea is that we can slip back into that aesthetic like stage even now right like if we're yeah. doing things only to pleasure ourselves or to bring ourselves comfort yeah. And, and yeah, that's the source sure. of all your choice making. Oh, okay. Yeah. So is a choice made to do this once in a while, meaning you're in this stage of life? Or if it's like your guiding lamp? It just means that there's some inconsistency. Like these okay. are general stages. Uh, Kierkegaard didn't like systems. He just liked observations. So, so this is what he How said. many stages are there total? Three. Three only. Okay. So like you could... Because it's such a small, like you could pretty easily be going back and forth between. Yeah, these aren't linear. No, right? they're not linear. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Or maybe they are for some people. Yeah, I would you say some people. just kind of evolve through them. Like people have their teenage years and their adult years, I guess you could possibly say that. Like is everybody navigating through these three things all the time? We're always making these decisions and we're always fluctuating. I, I'm not, I wouldn't say it's like. I wouldn't say it's always simultaneously. I think we have moments of that, but generally we're in one stage. Okay. Right. And okay. these are general mm -hmm. observations. Mm -hmm. These are not set in stone. Things. And is the idea like you grow out of it because you mentioned there's boredom in there. So you come to some realization that this isn't good enough for me. So Which we'll get to that uh, okay. in a bit. But I some people I don't think ever grow out of this stage right. though. Is it 
you can think of it like evolution. Like I'm assuming stage two and three are better. Yeah. Okay. Well, what's wrong with this? You don't think this is good? <laughs> well, that, that was going to be my joke this initially. Actually, this sounds awesome. I was going to say, are you you're starting at the wrong end? This sounds. <laughs> so this, this is, is the like, top, right? You're starting at the top, right? It's our podcast. But then philosophy. he did say. <laughs> Or maybe a good question is like, have you had moments of despair in your life where you just sought after pleasure or serving your own self? Because that's what Kierkegaard pushes at. We may be enjoying life for a moment, but then we hit this point of despair where we realize. Every time I buy a bag of jujubes. juice <laughs> yeah. or a butterscotch dipped cone. <laughs> when, I, when I was a young man, I, I wanted this green remote control car for Christmas and it was in the Sears catalog. And for months, I pined over this thing, and I got it. And the batteries died in 15 minutes. And that was, if you want to talk about despair, Christmas Day, 11.30 a.m., that's despair. Yeah. Your All, choice did not make you happy. No. That's what you mean, right, Peter? That's what Kierkegaard meant? You know, <laughs> it's it's a shallow example, but it's a good example. <laughs> oh, no. nice. That right. sounded more mean than what no, I intended. You did say it was a good example. I heard that part. Yeah. I will edit. What's part two, Peter? <laughs> well, so, yeah, it's good to, to move on to the next part. But with Kierkegaard, he is convinced, and I want to know what you guys think about this, that you can't actually convince somebody to leave one stage to the next. That you cannot... You can't reason your way out of it? Yeah, exactly. He's against rationalism. So you can't uh, make well-formulated arguments that somebody should leave the aesthetic stage. Like, mm-hmm. some, like, some, like a drug addict, maybe, who you... You can plead, you, but they're making that decision. To make yeah. Sure you're not. Yeah. Or even even somebody who is only obsessed with only caring about themselves. Mm-hmm. Like uh, uh, you can't make rational arguments that they should care about other people. Would the argument also be that everybody has to go through this stage or you mm-hmm. could skip it altogether or this might not have meaning for you personally? Um, I think Kierkegaard saw this as a sort of natural stage that, that humans are in. Okay, so if my kids go through something, it's not me. <laughs> okay. Like all of us should have been in this stage at right. least yeah. Oh, a yeah. few yeah. times. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think like we have our podcast set up so that our confessional is typically talking about this kind. state, these kinds of things. Yeah. That was intentional. Well, that's perfect because now we're moving to the next stage. Nice. So <laughs> the Kierkegaard, since you couldn't like actually like reason somebody out of a stage he didn't know what caused somebody to switch from one stage to the next. So he called it a leap. So we're taking the leap to the next stage. So shall we take a break? Sure. Perfect. Okay. So the second stage of Kierkegaard is uh, the ethical stage. And so, uh, and just so people know that these aren't chronological, so somebody could, uh, uh, go back to the aesthetic stage or the, the next stage I'll talk about, but let me read what John frame says about the, the ethical stage. Thank goodness for John frame right now. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's an intimidating book, but he's, he's quite good. Uh, the second stage is the ethical in which we govern our lives by the, uh, the rules given us by society. In the ascetic, one avoids taking a principled stand, but principled standing is what the ethical stage is all about. The moral law is universal, an obligation to do what is right for all men, refusing to follow one's individual inclination. 
The ethical person recognizes that he has an obligation to others. He cannot live as a mere spectator. He plans his life into the future rather than living by impulse. But there's a downside to the ethical stage as the aesthetic. Uh, as to the aesthetic, for our strongest resolutions are insufficient to maintain our ethical purity, we are easily overwhelmed with a sense of sin and guilt, resulting in a condition that Kierkegaard calls anxiety. So, hmm. so the ethical stage is we're following, uh, following the rules of society. Uh, but uh, uh, when we don't live up to those rules and the obligations of society, we get super anxious. Mm -hmm. uh, so like just as like the aesthetic uh, stage produces a lot of despair, when we get to this stage, uh, we get really anxious because we're not living up to the standards that we should be. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? Okay, first thoughts are it sounds like state aesthetic is like, you know, the fall essentially the state of human nature this is the law so now you're kind of the social contract you've agreed to be living in this certain way and when you can't meet the expectations you're a little anxious but i guess that makes sense yeah like there's the one part that stood out to me and maybe you'll have to refresh my memory exactly but about the principled like it's uh taking a principled stance or something is yeah, so like in the in the aesthetic, one avoids taking a principled stance, but um, in the ethical stage, uh, principled standing is what it's all about. Like you're driven mm -hmm. by that. Yeah. Okay. And is that in this stage, can you be in this stage but be doing it for the wrong reason? Or would like taking a – or maybe then it wouldn't be a principled stance. But you're, could you be trying to be adhering to like – societal norms and doing things ethically but doing it for selfish reasons or or would that be you're flipping back and forth between because i i'm kind of thinking of my own life stage one i like the first thing i thought of was like my five-year-old kid but then i thought well i wasn't that much different in university but then also in university there's also people we know who are trying to be the ethical justice seeker Right. But it's also like for, in, it, it for seems, selfish purpose. It seems to be for selfish reasons. So is this like the transition to where you're a true justice seeker? Or is this like. No, that's coming up. Is that what's coming up? Yeah. <laughs> it could be. I, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers on this podcast. So is this still like. I'm trying to predict. I guess maybe that maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Trying to predict what's next. But. Yeah. This stage sounds pretty good, but I'm being skeptical. Is your skeptical. question like, what's the motive for this stage? I guess, is this skeptical still kind of bad? I wouldn't I wouldn't focus on the, the motive at the moment right now. Like, um, like let, let's just focus on the stage itself. Why would uh, focusing on ethics so much produces anxiety? Like, because ethics are a good thing. Like, doing the yeah. good, the right thing is a good thing to do. So why would that produce anxiety in people? Or maybe Kierkegaard is wrong in that observation. Maybe people, it doesn't produce anxiety. Well, I, I guess this might not be the same thing, but I, I was thinking about my anxiety as a parent when I first had kids and how I felt when I had failures, it, it hit a lot harder than failures before that, if that makes sense. 
that's that's when I started thinking more about maybe what you're talking about. I think that's a perfect example, actually, yeah. and a strong, deep example. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Graham. Is yeah, that it's be- not a shallow example. <laughs> is that because you're worried about? what's going to happen to your kids or because how other people will see you as a parent. I think just all of the above. Sometimes I just think you, you, there's this standard that you see in other kids and other families. Mm-hmm. And a lot of time that's not accurate, but yeah, puts that at, at pressure on me. And I, I don't think I was ever, I don't think I ever had anxiety. Well, I probably had anxiety, but I feel it a lot more as a parent. I think mm-hmm. I feel those inadequacies, um, not living up to the ethical, maybe standards that you're talking about. But mm-hmm. my kids are all right. I love them. <laughs> they are great. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I try to do the right thing once in a while. <laughs> yeah, you do. yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you, you, I'm just wondering if Kierkegaard's knock on this is that like nobody can live up to the ethical. Or uh, that's my assumption, I guess, that I know I can't. And I'm assuming everybody probably feels that way. Like the ethics are there and we want to do it, but mm-hmm. we're all going to have anxiety because nobody measures up. That That's exactly what Kierkegaard, okay. Kierkegaard's thinking, because he is a Christian. Like, even yeah. though he hates the church, mm-hmm. uh, he has a very uh, strong faith. And so he is thinking within those terms of sin and guilt and not living up to righteousness. Man, Chris, you you are, you and Kierkegaard are one and the same, I think. Sounds like you're right there. Yeah, I mean, big... <laughs> Big Kierkegaard head over here. P- Peter, when, when Kierkegaard was writing this, was it sort of, was it new thought? Was it sort of like fresh? Was it an amalgamation of what was already out there? How would mm-hmm. you describe it? So when when he first wrote this, it was not popular. He did not have any fame. But most uh, uh, historical philosophers will say that he is the most original philosopher in history. Like this was brand new on the scene, never happened before. And people still actually don't know what category to put him in. Like we call him a father, the father of uh, modern existentialism, but we don't know how to classify him, which he would love because he hated classifications and systems and identities mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. all that stuff. So, But he's not rehashing like the Romans and Greeks. He's... No, carving new ground. No, he he's basically reacting against the philosophy of the time. And I'm sorry if I missed this, but the year the years he would have written. Uh, so um, mid 1800s. Okay. Yeah. And like, are people reading his books when he's alive, or is it like late uh, 200, 150 years later? They're yeah. like, hey, look Peter, at this Peter's guy. the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny because he never left the city of Copenhagen and his books actually never really like went outside the city in his lifetime. Um, And he used fake names for most of his books, too. And it wasn't it probably wasn't until uh, 50 to 100 years after. Yeah, about yeah, about 50 to 100 years after that, he actually changed the entire hmm. philosophical landscape. So it was like, he was more like a ticking time bomb where, um, there's no turning back after Kierkegaard. <laughs> Speaking of no turning back, can we have the third? Yes. We'll we'll take our leap to the next stage. Do we need a break or should we just keep going? Let's just keep rocking. Okay. So the next stage, we're going to take a leap of faith now, uh, because the next stage is the religious stage. Mm-hmm. And so, and Kierkegaard is the one who coined the term leap of faith. 
So, yeah. So that's, uh, well, he phrased it slightly differently, but that's, he's the one who started that. So this third stage is what Kierkegaard calls religious. In the religious stage, we govern our lives on the basis of an intimate individual relationship to God. The The transition from the ethical to the religious is what Kierkegaard calls the leap of faith. This relationship is by faith alone, not by reason. God's existence cannot be proved. It will always be uncertain. But faith, by its very nature, is uncertain, for God is beyond our understanding. The religious stage combines the immediacy of the aesthetic with the principled personal commitment of the ethical. I don't know if I'm a big Kierkegaard fan or a big Frame fan, because he's making Kierkegaard make sense. But, yeah, like... I felt like that's what the next stage was going to be, and this makes sense to me. I would say it's an accurate description of Kierkegaard. So nice, yeah. You've obviously read. You've all actually of read <laughs> in the Danish. In the Danish. <laughs> <laughs> so, if a person doesn't have a connection to God, that's would the argument be that you could be connected to something else and still be in this stage? Or if you don't have that connection, you're not in this stage. In Kierkegaard's mind, it would be God. Uh, but there have been like uh, more secular versions or other religious versions of these same concepts out outside of Kierkegaard. What would the secular take on that be? Uh, it, it would be um, like a, another uh, sort of... Um, like loyalty or love in life. So not necessarily God, but uh, you could have, you could have loyalty to somebody that pushes you past the uh, aesthetic and um, ethical stage. So it could even be a spouse or kids or something like that. Is you asked us about purpose way at the beginning um, of this episode. And is this stage where you have like the leap of faith is, would he say like finding your like a purpose to doing what you're doing or like having a reason for it? Hmm. Not so much a reason. I think you would say that takes away the despair and the anxiety from the other stages. Okay. So like the first stage Hmm. is selfish, which can lead to despair. And then the second stage is following rules like an ethics and trying and then the anxiety that comes when you are unable to do that. And the third stage kind of frees you from that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it's a stage that's driven by love. Okay. Yeah. And I, I like that, that phrasing of it and I can see how you could be, um, secular and still use these stages. Uh, Yeah. I like that. But wouldn't Kierkegaard argue that if your love isn't something outside yourself, it's not, it might be aesthetic. Right. Or I don't know, yeah. Woody. Well, it, yeah, I would say, um, like now in Kierkegaard's mind, the like religious stage always includes God. Okay. Uh, but uh, uh, people have Other taken people. the principled concepts uh, uh, for that. Like Kierkegaard is probably one of the most, like um, passionate Christians in like philosophical history, I, I would say like uh, um, though that's a very subjective thing, but, but whatever um, he, 
he studied to be a pastor actually in the Lutheran church and uh, was forced out of it and just had a, a nightmare of a time with the institutional church, but he has a deep love for God and theology and he's quite gifted in it. So I think that's why he uh, also goes in this direction. What would be the most accessible piece of writing that our listeners could try when it comes to Kierkegaard? <laughs> Is there like, like a Hobbit version of his Lord of the Rings or... I, I would say his personal journals. Uh, he wrote a ton of personal journals, and they have some compilations of them. And he he's quite the emotional guy. He is very emo. Um, <laughs> it's uh, awesome. uh, well, he, there's our title for the episode. He, he, <laughs> and he he's emo very philosophy. despairing at times. Like he, I remember one journal entry I read of his in undergrad where he's like, uh, um, uh, how did he word it? He like basically drew a long line and he was like at the end of this line is the end of my life or something like that. Like it was like, and he was like that all the time. He had a lot of anxiety, a lot of despair. And so, Hmm. uh, um, I think that's why I liked him so much. I like, (laughs) he was like, he's a very real philosopher. He isn't just in the air all the time. So would he have even said that he lived his life in stage three? Or would he is like, like to him, what would the good life be? Like, what's his answer to that question? Like, what is the good life? Is it living in stage three or is it on the cusp of it? Like you're almost, it is like a complete loyalty to God. And I'm not sure maybe he, I'm trying to think if you ever thought that you could reach that complete loyalty or not, but, um, but that's what he saw it as. Okay. Uh, he actually saw the people that were completely loyal to God as a knight of faith is actually how he worded it. Okay, so we've covered all the stages. Now we get to my favorite um, idea that Kierkegaard has brought up, and it's called the teleological suspension of the ethical. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> we were just talking about this actually. So I kind of can't wait to get your take on it. So, yeah. let me read uh, John Frame on this, and I think it is the most fascinating. Uh, this is something that happens within the religious stage. So typically, the religious stage affirms the ethical, but there are exceptions. Kierkegaard presents the Genesis 22 story of Abraham, who receives a divine command to kill his son Isaac. Abraham knows that obeying this command is contrary to ethics, but after much agony, he agrees to follow God's command rather than his own ethical standards. Kierkegaard says that in this command, God ordains a teleological suspension of the ethical, which is a temporary lifting of the ethical law, to ascertain whether Abraham's highest commitment is to God. So, do you think there are times, or if that is a good interpretation, where uh, ethical rules are suspended for religious reasons? I, I think, don't know if... Oh, sorry, Tycho. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like people act upon that presumption. Mm-hmm. They would say, like, I am being called to do this in the name of God. 
and the history of like since the middle ages has been like that's colonialism that's all those things probably you better be darn sure you know god's (laughs) voice right like if you don't if you don't discern what is what you're being called to do or what your purpose is and you're wrong about that like abraham could have really messed up Mm -hmm. so grace life church edmonton (laughs) recent example no so it was unethical because for them to act that way. They're suspending ethics. But they would say they are. And in hmm. in the way that frameworks it, I think it is a good example, which I'm afraid of. You've got of like three saying. good examples. One was shallow, but still three <laughs> good, deeper I'm, good examples. I'm, I'm afraid to speak my mind on it because people well, do get passionate about yeah. it. But, but frame, yeah. like the way frame talks about Kierkegaard here, he talks about the ethical stage of being a stage where your focus is primarily on others. Um, and you follow this moral law with Kierkegaard, a moral law is not, uh, so much of the ethics in the old Testament, but more of these, um, like universal moral rules that we, that we all follow. So, so the grace life church could, you could probably make a good argument that they're doing a teleological suspension of the ethical, that they're removing the ethical standards for their commitment to God, that mm-hmm. you could make that argument. Mm-hmm. Do we? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we don't have to go further than that. I, I think, think they're making that. You know, that's what where well, they're staking their flag, right? Here's here's the thing with uh, this idea with Kierkegaard. This is his most controversial concept. Like most philosophers will generally agree with his stages, but this this one is very divisive. Well, it's like, so up to interpretation. It's so subjective in many ways. I mean, there's pastors who would agree with what's happening. And there's pastors who wouldn't agree with what's happening. I'm not going to ask what you are, but <laughs> would Kierkegaard say this is the peak? Like, this is what you want? Like, you want these moments like Abraham where you act out of, mm. I'm not even going to try to say the thing, like where you, <laughs> to you like you're you transcending kinda, it, ethics yeah, because like of your relationship with God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I should explain like teleological is uh, the uh, means purpose. Which is kind of funny since Kierkegaard is like, uh, think of, how, don't think of how we talked about purpose already, okay. uh, but like the, um, you are suspending ethics for a purpose. So, yeah. and this is, uh, it's serving God or loyalty to God. And these are desired moments. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he describes Abraham as the knight of faith because he, was loyal to God even during this uh, sort of dire circumstance. So let's say like the story didn't end the way it does and he ends up actually killing Isaac. Would it still be looked that way? Next time on the harmonica. You know, it's like (laughs) God kind of bails him out in the end. Or I don't know how to look at that story even because it's so weird. Oh, I'm trying to remember if Kierkegaard talked about I read Fear and Loathing, so I got to read that again. Yeah, it's it's out of the book Fear and Trembling. Or Trembling, sorry. Fear and Loathing Um, in Las Vegas, not the same story. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want to read that, it's in that book. Hmm. Well, we, it's been recommended on the podcast a few times, the Under the Banner of Heaven, a book. Yeah. And like it's about... Like, uh, there's a, someone murders someone, but believes that it is, or claims to believe that, or I don't know, like that's where it gets tricky. Well, they believe it, right? They believe that that is God's 
um, purpose for them or their their calling or and then after the fact there's we look at that and say that's not a peak experience or a, a positive thing but is that yeah, would Kierkegaard example. say like if you act on in these moments against ethics or you like temporarily suspend your ethics to act for God that you will not be like that's part of the the peak of it or the glory of it is that you won't be remembered as a good person or a well you write your own destiny so what does it matter if other people disagree right so it doesn't matter to them but it matters to the way we view those people what's the difference between abraham and david koresh and jim jones and is it just that god supplied a ram at the right time or those guys weren't really listening to the right voices or like i can get how you can be cynical about these now Mm -hmm. Now, you also need to remember, too, that in Kierkegaard's mind that um, he sees God having a purpose for that situation as well. So it's it's knowing that that purpose of knowing um, uh, Abraham's commitment to God uh, for that hmm. situation. But let's move on. I've been teasing this, or like I talked about at the beginning of, of the episode. So Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. And I've read some people who have the same views as me. Not everybody does, but his movie Inception. Just real quick, just for listeners, if they're not sure, Christopher Nolan, like Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns, The Prestige, Interstellar, the new one, Tenet. Just people kind of know he's made all these movies. Just amazing director. Like most of his movies are in the 80s and 90s on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) And so (laughs) we believe you. That's (laughs) yeah. We're not even checking. So the the movie Inception, I believe the outline of the movie follows the stages of Kierkegaard. Um, One of the reasons why I think that is one of the phrases you hear throughout the entire movie is leap of faith. Says that over and over and over again. Uh, Especially that really crazy scene uh, um, outside of their apartment, and the um, where his like uh, wife jumps off the edge. Mm -hmm. Like uh, she says, "Take a leap of faith." So like you have those hints Mm -hmm. throughout the entire movie. Uh, But when you look at the aesthetic stage, think of uh, I forget the main character's name. Is it Cobb? Yeah. Yeah. So him and his wife are in the dream world, creating their perfect world. They're in the aesthetic stage where like life is perfect. They're doing whatever they want, but they Mm. see the despair that happens of living in that dream world. Mm. So they exit the dream world and they go to the ethical stage. Uh, But they have this nonstop anxiety about being in this, this real world and making real decisions and not doing whatever they wanted. Um, so that's when you get to that crazy scene where his wife takes a leap of faith, uh, which is, uh, like she is taking this religious leap. Um, now we don't know if that's actually suicide or not in the movie because are they in the dream world or mm-hmm. not? Like we don't know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, he takes a leap of faith, uh, at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. But here's where I wanted to include the teleological suspension of the ethical because in both of those cases, he suspend or both of them suspend ethics because she jumps, she commits suicide. That's suspending the ethical uh, in that situation to take that leap of faith. And he uh, commits a crime 
of changing somebody's memories to like change the trajectory of a, a company uh, to mm. so he's suspending the ethical in order to see his kids. And in both those cases, like they, what they do needs to happen to serve a greater mm-hmm. purpose. <laughs> okay. And yeah. we don't know the result of either. So in a way, it doesn't matter, right? Because it's their own teleological suspension. Exactly. When people always debate of like, did that top at the end fall or not? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter because they took the leap of faith. It huh. matters. It matters. The top did not fall. It wobbled. <laughs> it did wobble. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. And even for us, when we look at it, this is a genius of that movie. We're taking a leap of faith no matter what decision we make with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you love Nolan because he's just making a great movie and then layering in the <laughs> philosophy of your favorite. Yeah, Danish exactly. I, I'm in I'm in love with Kierkegaard and basically he made a movie about Kierkegaard. That's really so. cool. Hmm. Recommend that movie again, I guess. We got to do it. <laughs> but but I could be wrong. This is how I analyze the movie. So, um, Peter, I want to thank you for bringing this to the gentleman tonight. I don't know how you guys feel, but I quite enjoyed that. I enjoyed being told my ideas were good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. After they Especially were three good examples. Thanks for your bad After the player. first one was shallow. Yeah. <laughs> I had to start somewhere. Um, I, no, I'm, I'm happy that you guys gave me the, the chance because I'll be quite honest. I don't really have many opportunities to talk about the teleological suspension of the ethical. So well, that's kind of surprising. Yeah, yeah, I know. Shocking, <laughs> isn't it? But the idea that we're looking backward to history, I, I, lo- I love that idea mm-hmm. that you can bring yeah. that to us each time. And I appreciate the work you put into this and, and preparing it. So thank you. And just in case our listeners haven't caught on to this, like we're not prepared for this, like Graham myself and Chris like I think they caught on like, <laughs> <laughs> like we're yeah this is honest um yeah in stupidity. real time yeah just, I'm hoping that like one of the dials on Graham's little magic box there is like a stupidity filter that he can just but can only I'm do one mic at a time so it's online. <laughs> no, honestly I think this is this is how philosophy is supposed to be done though yeah. I don't care about uh, stupidity or not, no. uh, because philosophy is like wrestling with, with these ideas. And I just enjoy that. We had a conversation mm-hmm. about, um, yeah. about these things. Well, speaking of stupidity, let's do our confessions mm-hmm. and we will, <laughs> we will finish our evening with that. But, uh, thank you, Peter. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. That was really good. Thanks, Peter. All right. Well, I'm going to start confessions tonight because my ladybug story last time really took some shots on that. So I'll keep it simple tonight. I've been talking lately about uh, The Wire a lot, mm-hmm. the television show, which is amazing, by the way. And speaking of layers and philosophy, I would love to hear your take on that show, Peter, one day. If you could take the whole show in, I would love to hear how Kierkegaardian <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> but really quickly, my confession is that um, I was going to finish the show and get rid of my Crave subscription, which is a little pricey move on problem is i restarted the wire just on a whim really? i thought i'd watch the first one again just for fun and now i'm hooked again really I'm back in i'm basically paying a crave subscription to watch the wire for a second time which i don't really ever do so anyway and a third time recommending yeah that's a good recommendation uh, it kind of is both but it's i feel bad that i kept saying i'm done now but i'm not done i'm back mm. in guys i'm back in then you'll have time to watch the andre, andre the giant the... okay 
All right. Okay. Too much grave. Mine is just that I tend to leave televisions on when I leave rooms. In fact, during the taping of this exact podcast, um, my wife texted me and said, were you planning on having somebody else watch the baseball game when I was, (laughs) when you were gone? (laughs) And it's, I guess, I don't know if it's absent mindedness or it just, I love using up power. I'm not sure. (laughs) So I leave TVs on all the time. That would, if you're like, that would drive me nuts. I'll be honest. I, I, would it? Yeah. My kids leave lights on, leave stuff on. I don't, I don't like it. So yeah. And I'm usually a light turner offer, but Mm. television on. Okay. So my confession is a bit more serious. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was uh, hanging out with uh, Graham and Tyler outside and it was a wonderful time. Like uh, uh, there was plenty of gluten-free food there. It was wonderful. Good. Um, (laughs) Was this it? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, but I was talking about cycling and I, I mentioned that I don't wear a helmet mm-hmm. and right. then Tyler, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Made a comment like, Oh, are you not cool enough to wear a helmet or, or some sort of comment <laughs> like that? And, and I'm like, Oh, how do I answer that? Because I actually am that vain. Like I, I do not want to wear a helmet because I don't like how it feels. I don't like how it looks. But I'm like, I can't just say that. I can't just say that I care about the coolness factor. So I just started making up a bunch of bull crap about you know why I shouldn't wear a helmet. But what was your? But what was your in the reason? end, we knew the true answer. So. <laughs> But I just they like, saw right through like, it. Why did I go that direction? That was stupid. Like, oh, why, did, good, why can I just confession. admitted that? Yeah. I'm like, yes, I'm that vain and I just don't want to wear a helmet. Yeah. But yeah. I kept on trying to make a logical argument and there is none. Yeah. <laughs> it's rare that I can watch you get defeated well, you, by think, somebody else. I think you actually tried to make the argument that if you wear a helmet, you're more likely to get run off the road by a vehicle. Because they, <laughs> they see the helmet. Like, they see like the helmet. They're going to run you. Hey, there's a they helmet think you're stupid for wearing a helmet. So. Peter, I love so. your vulnerability in this moment. <laughs> wow. Because I do remember that That's conversation. Real. I, I'm just like, but I still, back to this moment, I'm like, why did I do that? Because I normally don't mind those things. So why did I mind it at that yeah. moment? And I'm still trying to figure that it's out. Okay. And it was such a minor thing. So I, this I don't is know. A safe we, all, space. we all slip back into Kierkegaard's first stage. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to guess that it's because your hair doesn't fit in any helmet, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. But... All right. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. Okay. Peter's mentioned a few times um, that what we're doing right now is philosophy, and it's just um, drinking some blind man um, pilsners, and we've got some whiskey here, and we're just talking about uh, things that we barely understand. And that, that is kind <laughs> of true. the way I remember doing philosophy in university, and I I remember just loving it. And um, I would be at a party and I would be doing this, but in I was probably in the first stage, Kierkegaard's first stage, so not at a mature stage, and just uh, really enjoying it. And I would have these, I guess you'd call them like philosophy hookups, where like I would meet someone at a party and we would sit and just talk about maybe, maybe Kierkegaard, I don't remember, um, but maybe like... Um, Sartre or like Plato or um, that's all I can remember right now but I remember one time <laughs> waking up and having I actually I, I remember 
having a friend or someone that I met at a party write on my arm with a Sharpie their phone number so that we could continue to talk about philosophy on another time. Wow. And it was kind of embarrassing that that was like the kind of hookups I was <laughs> having. The, those are the phone numbers <laughs> so you the got? Ne- so the next morning, my roommate's like, oh, you got a number. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go talk to Sam about like Kierkegaard or yeah. Sartre or whatever. <laughs> but so that's yeah my philosophy confession. I don't know, man. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah I wish I tried. That. I was just a band. <laughs> like, <laughs> And I actually knew philosophy. Okay. And I, and Here, this is this is another. Conf- did, if that did wasn't Christa good enough, write that message. Is that Christa? No. <laughs> here's here's a. If this that one wasn't very good. Here's, I've I fell asleep during Inception. What? We're not friends anymore. <laughs> it's, like it's long, but <laughs> it is long. Did, have you rewatched it? Like, um, have you seen the whole film? I will tonight. Whoa. Or sometime soon. We should do a watch-along episode of the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if you want to get in touch with the show, Chris will tell you exactly how to do that. There's a number of ways. HarmoniousGentleman at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter and Instagram at HarmoniousGents. And Facebook? How do you get there? Uh, harmonious gentleman. Okay. Chris asked this last time, actually. I just have no desire to get on Facebook, so I hear it's there. I just haven't seen it. It exists. Yeah. Well, we'll be back in two weeks. We appreciate Peter once again um, being prepared and coming ready to uh, help us to, I don't know, to teach us, basically, and mm-hmm. lead us in a great conversation. Connect us with the past. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for letting me back on. I'm I'm surprised I didn't scare you away with a gay manifesto. So that's... Not at all. No, that was good. <laughs> that was a great one. Yeah. And thank you, Tyler, for hosting. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, why don't you say goodbye to the listeners? All right. So thanks for being here for episode 43 and the whole time, really, <laughs> supporting and listening along. I'm is, hoping the piano really yeah, crescendos say, here. Is that piano music me playing out. right now? Oh yeah. I'm going to say 43 episodes. We still suck at the ending. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no thought to the ending whatsoever. Good night, everyone. <laughs>